0: So good to be back with you this morning. A month out of the pulpit for me feels like a year, and so it's just a joy to be with you. This morning we're starting for February, March, and April a three-month vision series called 2020 Vision. I just want to remind you of where we've been. What we've talked about back in October and November was a, a burden that we believe the Lord has given us And there was a statement that we read in a sermon on November 17th, and I just want to read it to remind you what we're talking about. In light of God's many graces and our desire to strengthen the core at Bethlehem, the elders are asking the congregation to pray with us for the future structure and organization of Bethlehem. In particular, we're considering a transition to regular live campus-specific preaching, and campus specific quarterly strategy meetings. This means that the campus pastors would be mainly responsible for the preaching at each campus and that most strategy meetings would be decentralized from the downtown location and instead held at each specific campus location. We recognize this would be a significant change for the church and if made There will be implications for our congregation, pastoral staff, and ministries. Therefore, we earnestly desire to hear the thoughts and reflections of the congregation in this process, inviting you to pray with us for God's direction. You have graciously and lovingly engaged. We we have heard you through many venues, many meetings together. What we want February, March, and April to be is a vision series that answers some of the questions that you've brought to us, like what is the vision for this? What do you hope to accomplish through this? Let me try to put it into perspective. Like I was here worshiping with you during January and just struck by the miracles I was seeing. Just one Sunday morning, for example, sitting here worshiping among you, hearing the unengaged people group of the week and hearing that one of our global partners had become aware of this group and that they were helping others to reach them, to want to engage them. It just felt miraculous to me. And then to hear about a a church plant and a meeting there to talk about this future church plant. And then to hear about the millions that the Lord raised through you to more than meet our expenses, it just, I was just, my heart was exploding with joy, hearing about miracle after miracle after miracle. And when you see what the Lord's been doing in our 25 by 25 vision, the ambition to engage 25 unengaged people groups with the gospel, to plant 25 new churches, to build a 24-7 facility for the South Campus, All of those things are just God sized things that he stirred us up to do. And in the midst of that, a surprising thing happened. There was a fourth initiative. It wasn't just unengaged people groups, church plants, building a south campus facility. There was another initiative called strengthening the core. And to be really frank with you, we didn't always know how to define that. It just seemed like the Lord gave us that and was filling it out a little bit more at a time. Like, what is the ambition for that? We understand the ambition to engage, to plant churches, to build a building. What about this? What was the ambition? the Lord would give us, here it is. The ambition that the Lord has given us, we're calling a a 2020 vision for two reasons. First, because it would begin to take place in the year 2020, but we're not just trying to be clever, but 2020 relates to vision. And what this is at its core is a shepherding vision. And here's the ambition of that shepherding vision. The Lord has given us an ambition to see our people more clearly, speak to them more specifically, and lead them more effectively. That's what he has stirred up in the hearts of your shepherds. See the people more clearly, speak to them more specifically, lead them more effectively. It's what we're going to be talking about over the next three months. And because of the talk of moving to campus-specific preaching, and for you to be part of that conversation, over these three months I'll be preaching about half of the time and the other half will be Stephen Lee and Dave Zilger. We're talking about as South Campus preaching pastor and Stephen Lee as North Campus preaching pastor and myself would become downtown preaching pastor, we want you to hear from all of us and to hear how we're united in this. And the month of February in particular, we'll be looking at some of these texts on shepherding that the Lord has given us. Not because they're new and that we've never thought of them, but because they they stirred up an ambition in us to go further in and further up into them, to live them out more fully. So the the three foundational kind of formative shepherding texts the Lord's given us would be Acts chapter 20, which we're talking about today, Hebrews 13, 17, which we'll talk about next week, 1 Peter 5, especially verse 2, which Pastor Dave will preach on in three weeks, and then maybe the most foundational text Pastor Stephen Lee will preach on in four weeks, which is John 10, and the vision of Jesus as the great shepherd, the foundational text for all of us under shepherds to look to. So what the process is going to look like over the next few months, will be specifically this preaching series. We're going to be having family meetings. We're going to be having just time for personal correspondence between the elders and the people and we're gonna vote in the April quarterly strategy meeting, Lord willing. But I don't want you to think that the elders are somehow consumed with thoughts about structure. We're consumed with thoughts of our Savior and what he's calling us to do. So would you pray with me that the Lord would speak and have his way? Let's pray. Father, I ask right now that as we come in, some feeling scattered, some feeling sorrow, you promised, Lord Jesus, that in this world we would have trouble. But you also promised that you have overcome the world. So we're asking, great shepherd, give us sightlines of you. Come to us. Speak to us. Shepherd your flock, we pray. And I pray that those who have come in scattered or in sorrow, that all would leave satisfied in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is Acts 20 in a nutshell. What Paul's doing, he's been on his third missionary journey. He spent about three years in Ephesus. And he says in verse 31, three years, night and day, admonishing them with tears. And now he's passing the baton to these Ephesian elders. He's saying, I've been doing this teaching and this shepherding and this admonishing among you for three years, and now it's your turn. You're to do this work. You're not going to see me again. So I'm I'm wanting to arm you for the days ahead. And in verse 28, you get the main point of this sermon that he gives them. And it goes like this. Here's the main point. He says that eldering is a call to carefully watch the whole flock that's what he's saying here's what eldering is as he's passing the baton it is a call to carefully watch over the whole flock And he's going to say the whole flock includes starting with yourself pay careful attention to yourselves and to the whole flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of to shepherd the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. So this call to carefully watch over the flock, then that call has reasons for watchfulness. So those are the two points in our outline. There is this call to watch and then there are two reasons for this watchfulness. So we begin with the, the main point there in verse 28, this call for watchfulness. Just look at this verb that he uses. The main verb in verse 28 is a call for Careful attention, pay careful attention. What's so staggering about this word is that it's not the normal verb for shepherding. That word already means to watch over the flock. That's what the word means, to shepherd. But he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, which means a way of watching. What he's saying is shepherds are going to watch, but he condemns a lazy, limp, passive way of watching. He says if you are going to shepherd and understand your call, it's not just watching over the flock, it's watching them in a certain way, vigilantly, alertly, attentively, carefully. The whole stress of this verb is on the way that you do, you're watching. There has to be a care and a vigilance and a concern and not a cavalier attitude of doing this. And then, now that the verb gets your attention and and its passionate call for for care in watching, now the question becomes, okay, if, if I'm supposed to vigilantly watch something, then what? What am I supposed to watch so carefully? And there's two objects of the verb there in verse 28. He says, watch, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So he's talking about carefully watching the whole flock and he says, start with yourselves. You see that, verse 28? Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is the same warning that he gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's saying, don't in your zeal to watch over the whole flock. Forget that you are also part of the flock. Don't take for granted that as you watch over them, that you don't need to watch over yourself. And this is going to make sense big time when he says in a few verses, there's going to be fierce wolves, and some of you are wolves. From your own selves will some of these wolves come. Does it ever enter even into your mind that shepherds could be wolves? He says, don't take a lax attitude and just assume everything's right with your soul. He says to Timothy, you watch closely, not only your life, but your teaching because eternal life is at stake. If you pay careful attention to your own life and to your teaching, it will save both yourself and your hearers. What's the implication? If you don't watch your life closely if you don't watch what you're teaching vigilantly, it will lead to hell. It'll be hell to pay, Timothy. Do you just feel the vigilance? This is the definition of gravity. And what I love about what Paul does here when he says look at yourself. The verse before it for Timothy isn't just talking about self-awareness because self-awareness without obedience would be hypocrisy. He says you're supposed to immerse yourself in these things so much that people actually see you grow. They actually can see your progress First Timothy 4.15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Here's a question for you. As you know your elders, get to know them, can you watch them grow? Do they grow in likeness? I'm just inviting you to even watch me and say, is there a pattern of obedience or not? I love the way that Ezra states what leadership looks like. Ezra 7.10, his profile, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel and don't get the order wrong. It doesn't say he studied and then he taught and then later he obeyed. No, here's what a leader is. A leader doesn't just bark out orders from the back. A leader studies and obeys and teaches out of that. Without the living, there's no leading. It's got to be studying, it has to be living and teaching and all of that is leading. If it's just self-awareness and teaching without living, it's hypocrisy and it's a road to hell. I get why he spoke so often admonishing with Tears. If you really believe that. Not just yourself, but all the flock. Pay careful attention to all the flock. Question, why does he say all the flock? Why not just say, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock, because the emphasis on all means you are not a good shepherd if only part of the flock is flourishing, if only part of the flock is being watched. This is condemning clickishness in shepherding, like just shepherding your affinity group, the people that you know and like. He's saying the, the whole flock, it's not just who you like, it's who he bought. That's who you're to shepherd. I think one commentator gets it exactly right when he says, in view of the preceding reference in verse 27 to the whole will of God, it may be significant here that the charge is to care for all the flock, meaning the inclusive church of Jews and Gentiles that results from announcing God's saving purpose for all. Neglect of one group or another will result in the whole congregation being hurt or hindered in its growth and witness. And don't forget, this had already happened in Acts 6. There were cultural barriers between Hellenistic Jewish widows and Hebrew speaking Jewish widows and the the Hellenistic widows were being neglected. And so what Paul is saying here is don't let parts of the flock, segments of the flock be unseen, unknown, uncared for. A a shepherd that has the heart of Christ wants to see the whole flock be known, the whole flock be cared for, the whole flock flourish, not to have one culture or one ethnicity or one gender or one whatever be enshrined as this is the flock, but to have all of those that Christ bought be watched, loved, shepherded, not neglected. Now, if that's the call, if that's the main point of this sermon, as he says to these elders, here's what eldering is. What are the reasons to watch that carefully? He gives two of them. So first point was this call to carefully watch. Second point is the reasons for watching that carefully. And there's two of them. In verses 28 through 30, there's two reasons. One is a positive one, one's a negative one. Watch this carefully because of the work of God, what he's done, and also because of the work of the wolves, what they will try to do. So let's take those one at a time. In verses 28 to 30, he focuses on this work of God. There's three things here. You're going to see the Trinity. There's a divine purpose, a divine possession, and a divine purchase. Look at the end of verse 28 for the divine purpose. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Here we learn why the Holy Spirit made these men to be shepherds. Notice the purpose. What you see is the overlap of these terms. He uses the term made you overseers and the purpose of making them overseers was to shepherd or the word for being pastors these words are so interchangeable because the word for being an overseer is to have oversight over something and the word for being a shepherd is we all know this like we sing the songs while shepherds watch their flocks by night so overseeing and watching over this is just overlapping terms. An elder, pastor, overseer, what do they do? They watch over the flock. That's what eldering, shepherding, overseeing is. Now, notice something amazing about this. The Holy Spirit has done this. Stunning. Meaning, people who are elders at this church, I'm speaking to you directly now, You didn't become an elder on the one hand extreme by coincidence or fluke of circumstance. And on the other extreme, you didn't become an elder because you were self-promoting and self-assertive and putting yourself forward. None of that. God chose you to be an elder. It's God's doing. And what that means is simply stunning. It means this. This is what landed on me probably most. What you are called to is what you were made for. And therefore, it's what you can delight in. Think about this. I just wept over this. I've always heard the phrase from Eric Liddell, yeah, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Here's what I know. God, he didn't make me fast. Not like that. He made me a shepherd. And when I shepherd, I feel his pleasure. I just feel it in my bones that I was made for. It is hard to be away from everybody for a month. That's why I was spending so much time in the foyer just getting to know people. I cannot stay away. It's what the Lord makes you to do, and it's a call, therefore. If it's what you're called to do and made for, it's what you can delight in and feel his pleasure in making you that, calling you to be it, making you for it. It's what he's done So not only carefully watch because it's what God chose you for, called you for, made you for, but also not just divine purpose but second divine possession. To care, verse 28, for the church of God. This puts shepherding into an immediately ultimate context. The flock does not exist for you. They do not belong to you, they belong to God. This immediately puts all shepherds on notice. It's a comfort, isn't it, for the flock to know you don't belong to frail, fallible under shepherds like us. You belong to the chief shepherd, to the king eternal and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. You belong to him, that's a comfort. But it's also a challenge to shepherds because if this is the flock of God, then shepherds will give an account to God about what they do with this flock. That's what we're gonna see next week, Hebrews 13, 17. You will give an account to God for how you care for the flock of God. It's not yours, it's His. So not only divine purpose, The Holy Spirit made you to do this. Not only divine possession, it's the flock of God, but also, lastly, divine purchase. The flock of God which he obtained with his own blood. The blood of Christ is the purchase price for the flock. Let me tell you what will happen when we get to the heavenly assembly. There's not going to be the gathered saints from every tribe and tongue and language and nation saying, worthy are our shepherds. In the heavenly gathering With saints from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, they know why they're there. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And under shepherds who are also bought will be joining that chorus. That's that's why we're here. Every week when the local assembly gathers, we know why we're part of this flock. We're purchased with a price. So it's going to be there in every sermon, in every song, in every gathering point, we remember whose we are, why we're here. I, I feel this in my bones when it comes to shepherding. He's saying, how can you not put your heart and soul into this when Christ put his blood into this? I'm a mess, and I didn't bring any Kleenex this morning. I'm I'm out of touch with how I preach. Here's the breathtaking realization: you see it, God's trinitarian purpose and pleasure here, the Holy Spirit's purpose, the Father's possession, the Son's purchase. Here's a book that I read that said it just right, quote, The ministry of shepherding finds its source and its goal in the eternal mission of the Holy Trinity. All that was planned by the Father before the world began was accomplished in time by his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and continues to be delivered day by day by the Holy Spirit who works through the preached word and the sacraments administered in his name. This is church, dear friends. We're in the purpose of the Trinity, what the Father planned, what the Son purchased, what the Holy Spirit is working day by day in the word that's preached and the sacraments that are remembered and celebrated. This is why we're here. But Paul says don't only watch positively because of what God's done, but secondly because of what the wolves want to do. Here's what he says, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So much I want to say here. Let me, for the sake of time, just answer four questions quickly about these wolves. Where did they come from? Why did they come? What's their strategy? And when will this happen? Number one, look at where they come from. He says, not only they'll, they'll come among you from the outside, but he says, from among your own selves. They're going to come from the outside and they're going to come from the inside. Like Jesus said, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but really they're ravenous wolves. And here's why that is a call for carefully watching. What do these wolves want to do? He calls them fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. I grew up in South Dakota, I read a lot of outdoor life and sports magazines and things like that, just nature, learning about animals. One of the things that they stress again and again is the worst type of predator is one that doesn't just kill when they're hungry, but kills for the thrill of the kill. These wolves don't want to just come in and Pick off a few of the sheep. They want to devour the whole flock, all of them. Just kill, draw away to eternal death. Savage is what he's saying. Be on the lookout because they don't just want a few of the flock. They want all of them. If you let them, they will destroy all of them. Now, here's the question. What, how will they do that? says that what they want to do is they're gonna speak twisted things, verse 30, to draw away the disciples after them. What does that mean? They're gonna take the things that you teach from the word and they're going to twist them, distort them, and the purpose of doing that is to make a distinction between your teaching and their teaching so they draw away the disciples after them. They want to distort in order to divide. Make a difference between what you teach and what they teach so that people will follow them. And remember Paul said to the Corinthians, is it any wonder that these false servants of Satan do that? Satan himself pretends to be an angel of light. His servants will do the same thing. They'll act like shepherds and just subtly twist and distort, and change, little by little, making just enough of a distinction so that you'll follow them instead of following Christ. When did that happen? Paul's here giving a prophecy. After my departure, many commentators think this was fulfilled in the church of Ephesus when the apostle John wrote to it three or four decades later when he writes and says they went out from us because they were not of us. And this group was trying to draw away the disciples. And what were they, what were they twisting? They were twisting the doctrine of Christ, questioning his incarnation. Did, did he really come in the flesh? Not denying Christ altogether, just twisting, distorting, questioning, causing suspicion. Did he really fully come in the flesh, truly human, all the way, really? And it was drawing disciples away. So what Paul is saying here is that you need to be so vigilant, and what's striking is that for him, the best defense is a good offense. He says, I was teaching you constantly. I almost thought about our 2020 vision preaching Acts 2020 because Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable to you in teaching, both in public and from house to house. He went anywhere and would say anything at any time that would be profitable for the people to defend them from the wolves didn't matter what time of day night and day he says I am there to preach in order to protect in order to keep the flock together now here's my question the claim that our 2020 vision is making is that we believe it will better strengthen strengthen the core to have live preaching why do we think that Why do we think this will actually be better for the flock? Two reasons. From this text, what we can see is that there's a a formative dimension to shepherding and teaching. That is, you're you're teaching the whole counsel of God, not just in one sermon, but, but a whole counsel being proclaimed night and day from house to house, wherever it is, and there's a protective function or a corrective function to teaching. So for Paul, he could not only be part of this kind of discipleship ecosystem where he wanted to form the flock through teaching, he also through teaching wanted to defend them, protect them. And to do that, he had to speak very specifically to them and know them very specifically. So let's just think about this in closing. When we see that he preached comprehensively, declaring the whole counsel of God, preached constantly, night and day, verse 31, preached passionately with tears, and preached both privately and publicly from house to house, we get the picture that for Paul, part of his constant vigilance was to really know these people, so he's always asking, what do they need? And it's not just gonna be one sermon, one lecture, once a week saying something, it's going to be a whole ecosystem of teaching, of always asking, okay, this flock, where they're at, what do they need? And so we don't believe that just one person speaking to all three campuses is gonna know that the pulpit has been separated from the ministries of the campus so that this ecosystem sometimes feels disconnected between what's being preached and the ministries and initiative of the campus. It might not be Paul doing all the teaching. We're talking about a a campus team together doing this teaching in a unified way, specifically for the flock and their needs. But secondly, not just the formative but the protective, think about how false teaching is a moving target. Did Paul just have one kind of false teaching he addressed? When you read his letters, you see it's totally different. Colossians was different than Corinthians. Galatians was different than Thessalonians. Or just think about Jesus writing to the seven churches, having a specific commendation and a specific rebuke. And all of them were fairly geographically close but contextually very different. And that's what we're saying about these three campuses. They might be geographically close, but they're very different, and therefore we need to speak very specifically in order to lead effectively, and all of that has to come from seeing them very clearly. So if you like to carry out these texts on shepherding, we've got to grow in our ability to see clearly, speak specifically, lead clearly. Effectively, the way that Paul did in seeing this task with such gravity. And as we come to the moment of communion, I' just close with this There's so much more I want to say. I thought about, what does this moment do? As you remember that you are the flock of God bought with this blood. What do shepherds want to do week in and week out? We don't want you to think that somehow we're the way. We're just trying to point the way to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Like I thought about this, you see in so many children's stories how in order to not get lost, they might leave a trail of breadcrumbs to say "I, I know the way back. That's what communion is. The cup and the crackers like a, a, a breadcrumb trail leading you back to the one who First Peter says is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For you are all straying like sheep, but you have returned to the one who is the overseer and the shepherd of your soul. We invite you in this moment of communion, follow the breadcrumbs back to the one who purchased you, loves you, won't let anything snatch you out of his hand. Hear him say again, I will hold you fast. Let's pray together. Father, oh God, I ask in this communion meal now. For those that have been wandering, feeling scattered, feeling drowned in sorrow, God, lead us back. Lead us back to Christ. Let us feel his good shepherd care of us again. In Jesus' name.